descends through the hourglass. Today is the longest day of my life. Welcome back to the longest days of our lives at 24 Fancast. This is day two, hour four, and I am one of your hosts, Jack Bauer, super fan, Mike Cushing. And I'm another one of your hosts, 24 newbie, Curtis Perry. And I am your third and final host. And you know what? I kind of like Tony now, Michael Howard. Tony, you know, so this episode, I like Tony. Love that man. Mm-hmm. Good, good mm-hmm. hair now, especially post-explosion. Um, this episode features a couple people just trying their best while getting yelled at on the phone. <laughs> and Tony is unfortunately on the other end of one of those phone calls. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? At some point he realizes that he's just not he's not cut out to be the boss. He's not cut out no. for the big chair, the no. the upstairs office. Mm-hmm. He cares a little too much. Uh just can't get it done. Cares too much. Well, mm-hmm. fellas, as you know, this episode like every episode of the 24, follows the la- natural linear progression of time. So after hour three comes out at hour four, that's where we are now. And mm-hmm. in the last episode. We did it. We did it. We did it. In episode three, which was a doozy and ended with the bombing of the counterterrorism unit LA office. Um, we had a couple things. So uh, Kate Warner, uh, who is suspected her sister's fiance raised on a year of... Being a terrorist for some reason, uh, she got I could con- not even imagine why she would think that he was a terrorist. He brown, though? He oh. is brown, and also we learn money, so terrorism, I guess? Mm-hmm. So yep. she's brown hired, plus money equals terrorism. Yep. So she had hired a private investigator named Ralph Burton to look into Reza Nair, and lo and behold, Ralph did confirm that, yeah, the brown dude is a terrorist, though. Um... <laughs> thinly veiled racism from the Warner family. Um, George Mason, acting head of CTU, uh, got a lung full of radioactive uh, materials. He's not doing very well. Um, He has between a day and a week to live. Uh, There's a power play going on around David Palmer between his aide, Lynn Kresge, and the acting or the director of the NSA, Eric Rayburn. And um, Kim Bauer, has a small child that she uh, took to CTU for protection, and then CTU got blown the fuck up. And, Pretty uh, standard. Also, the small child's father, Gary, reported Kim to the police for child abduction. Fucking Gary. The sage is set for uh, a pretty good pretty good hour of television. Mm-hmm. So, we get a tiny clock. It is 11.01. Uh, we open with ambulances driving past the terrorist van as they listen to the police radio. We hear that at least seven or ten people are dead that we know of, and the van drives away as the ambulances race towards that the just CCU keeps building. climbing. That yeah, by the all episode, by the end of the episode, like e- like they make a point of saying an increasing number like every time, and yeah. by the end of the episode, it it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's yeah. not not a good look. Um, Jack's face in this scene is maybe the worst undercover face I've ever seen. He's just sitting there like, oh. God, everybody I know is dead. And you're like, dude, you're oh. supposed to be like happy or nonplussed whatsoever. Like this. Yeah. And it's d- directly like um, counter to his face at the end of the episode where like he was looking at the smoke plume, like clearly unhappy. And then like he gets into character undercover and just like gives a big old smile and like shakes Eddie, the terrorist hand, like congratulates him. But like in the car, like which he is in the front seat facing forward, but like he's definitely pouting. <laughs> <laughs> about his good terrorist win. Oh, everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah. 
So we cut to CT where their personnel are staggering around the rubble looking for survivors. Michelle Dessler sees a corpse and she thinks it's Tony Almeida underneath like some rubble. And she just kind of like starts almost starts to cry. <laughs> um, and then we hear Tony, thank God, yelling for help as he pulls a Tony! survivor out of the rubble. And she runs over and uh, asks what to do. And he tells her, set up a triage and take this guy Luke over there. And uh, he finds... IT tech Paula Schaefer trapped under some rubble mm-hmm. and um, she's she's alive. He, he, yeah, he tells her to blink if she can hear him, which she does. And uh, he promises that he's going to get her out of there, which spoiler alert does not happen for the next 45 minutes. And uh, someone explains to Tony that it's too dangerous to move all at once and they have to remove it brick by brick to which Tony just responds. That's gonna take forever. <laughs> it's gonna take forever. I mean, oh, look, it. you do things Whatever. the Butch Jones method. You can get you can get it done eventually. Uh, not in five <laughs> years' time, but eventually you'll get it done. You'll get there. Yeah, I was, uh, I was when I was taking notes. I was I was making you know I was checking who's alive. Right, it was like oh Michelle's alive. It's like oh cool Tony, and it was like Paul. I'm gonna leave a half check mark next. To oh Paula, Paula did. here. Like this is I was like that's what I wrote. I just wrote oh Paula did. There's well, <laughs> we're going to keep that half check mark next to Paula for the entirety of the episode. At this point, uh, she is just it's a real Princess Bride situation. Uh, <laughs> right now, all we can really do is go through her pockets. Um, then we cut to the garage at CTU where Kim Bauer is carrying Megan Matheson, the small child who of is a course, small version of herself. They're alive. Yeah, they, they yeah, survive. Kim is because, essentially unscathed. Yes. <laughs> Again, we we know that Kim is immortal, can't be killed, but the small child with her does have a pretty bad head contusion. And as they walk through, they're surrounded by people who are, uh, you know, crying out in pain. And Megan just says, I don't feel very well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then she just starts convulsing. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, my first reaction was, um, God, she's such a whiny, whiny little kid. And then I was like, oops. My my B, yo, little Kim. Sorry about that. <laughs> a seizure will That's make a- you feel like a dick. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> that is actually, so I, I felt that, so Sora has been, pre- my dog has been pretty whiny lately, a lot. And, but like a couple weeks ago, she wound up in the emergency vet. And then the three days leading up to it, she was crying like a real, real son of a bitch. And even <laughs> on this podcast, I mentioned, or not on this one, on Trends in Little Places, I mentioned to Michael that Sora was being a real whiny turd because she <laughs> ate some shit. And then four days later, she was in the hospital. Yeah. Um, so I felt bad about that. And in about three seconds, Megan winds up in the hospital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so listen to, listen to, to people when they, uh, you know, when they, when, when stuff's going down, when people are being weird. Uh, if your dog or nine-year-old blonde child are being whiny little turds, check it, maybe listen check it out a touch. Yeah. See what's popping. Um, so an EMT rushes over and attends to her, and he tells Kim that Megan is having a seizure and that they need to take her to the ER. So they run towards a car, mm-hmm. and we cut to uh, the Northwest Regional Operation Center, the NROC, where David Palmer is being briefed on the attack. And he just says, if only Bauer had called earlier, even a few minutes, we could have saved mm-hmm. those people. And Lynn Kresge, his advisor, who had gotten a call from Jack Bauer last episode, looks like she wants to jump in, but... NSA director Eric Rayburn says, until we know more, I'd just like to ignore all that and talk about evacuating L.A. Uh, I have a plan which is on your desk, Palmer. 
And uh, David just says, I'll call you when I'm ready, and just walks away, which he seems to really be passing the buck on almost every major decision <laughs> involving this terrorist attack. And I, right, I like don't they know still, all they know is that a nuclear bomb is supposed to explode today. today. They don't know whether it's in the morning or the afternoon or the evening, and they are just going about their business like this shit is not happening. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Jack Bauer is on the case. Yeah, Jack's going to yeah, handle it. Yeah, but you can't. He's like, oh, I didn't review it yet. I'll tell you when I'm ready. The fuck? We, how about you review it now? Because the bomb could go off. Any second now, for all you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a weird mix. Like, in, in the last season, David was such a proactive character, like, getting out ahead of every crisis, like, to a fault. Like, mm-hmm. the press might find out about my son sort of killing a dude in, like, months from now. I better tell them about it right now, today. Mm. And this is just like, there's a nuclear bomb about to go off. I'm going to sit on this for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk to the press for 45 minutes about uh, Oregon's fucking environmental protections. Which, you know, kudos to Oregon. They're doing all the good stuff. Yeah, protecting all those dumb birds and fish. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Super duper. LA is about to be exploded. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will say in this episode, guys... Mm-hmm. I hope you're ready to drink because oh, oh baby, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. I mm-hmm. am. I am certain that Kiefer Sutherland read the rules to the drinking game before this specific episode and <laughs> really set our, us up for success. Because um, do we? That's what I wrote on my notes. Was well, here comes the drinking because I just uh, just well, constantly kept happening. I was like, he did it again. Boy, so howdy, we, we are about to drink. Do we drink for all of the dead CTU agents? Like now, or as they announce the as they as they continue to go it's up, or do we like, just want to do it all at the end? That's actually what? a good point. So take seven to ten drinks right now. It's it's an unknown number, <laughs> unknown, um, uh, unknown. So in about three minutes, it's about to be nineteen. So <laughs> maybe. Um. So Palmer leaves, and Lynn Kresge confronts Eric Rayburn and says, "See to you, those all those people. They're dead because of you. It's all your fault." Mm-hmm. And he, what does he say? I'll tell you. He says, as far as I know, Bauer never called. You're the one who talked to him. That's he's on you. He's a fucking snake, man. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, that's, uh, so I didn't write the way his quote, because I just wrote, oh, Eric, you're a fucking dick. Yeah. So. so she says, are you blackmailing me? And he says, I'm protecting the president. Whatever you know or think you know, I suggest you keep it to yourself. And he walks away. I love the, the think you know. It's like, like we we are in the same, we have the same information. This is an objective Friendo. reality we're living. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what happened. I I got the call. I told you about it, and you stopped me from telling anyone. You know, I lead the NSA, so I just know a little bit more. Mm, not this time. <laughs> I gave you the say. I gave you the intel. I'm your source, Bressif. Yeah. So he walks away after saying, "I suggest you keep it to yourself." And Lynn just kind of hangs her head in shame, and. I wrote a note to myself as I was watching. It's like, do you think she's going to keep it to herself? And she does. Yeah. She does. I don't get it. Why? I mean, yeah. Once again, like does. we said, who's the, like, do you want the director of the NSA mad at you? Like, really? But I don't want the president of the United States mad at me. Um, I'm going to go with NSA before the president. I Or Jack Bauer. Now, that's, that's a problem. Because that's just murder in your face. Right? Because at some point in this episode... She's got Jack Bauer 
up her ass. Mm-hmm. She's got head of the NSA up her ass. And she's got the president of the United States mad at her. Like, she's literally the most hated person in the world and probably going to die. Yep. Yeah, no. Uh, Kim Bauer is still the most hated person in the world. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, so we get a tiny clock. It is 11.05, and we see a hazmat agent, uh, a doctor, informing George Mason that his personal belongings have been transferred from his car to the ambulance, which is a convenient little thing, so he can go to the hospital now. Okay, so I don't understand who this guy is, because I thought he was a doctor, and then and I he thought was a hazmat, he was hazmat guy, but he's definitely wearing just a plain all EMT. It says paramedic on his shirt. Outfit. And then yeah, he, he's just a paramedic. Then he is driving the ambulance. Right. Like, look, I, I wouldn't say I, I want to say just a paramedic because they do valuable service and saving people's lives. But like he was giving him information as if he had special knowledge about plutonium based deaths. There's there's a moment here in a second where so I'll just get to it. George says, how's it going to happen? How am I going to do it? And the guy's like, what? <laughs> He's like, well, you said I could be dead to- by tomorrow, so I'm just kind of curious what to expect, which is a pretty pragmatic stance from uh, from George. And um, first of all, yeah, again, not to shit on EMTs or paramedics, but uh, the guy just says, well, there's a latent period where you'll be asymptomatic, uh, 12 hours or longer, and then just goes into the exact acute like symptoms of being poisoned by plutonium (laughs) like i'm pretty sure that emts do not have just off the top of their head knowledge of how you die from plutonium he's a hazmat emt maybe maybe yeah it could be which apparently he was but also like he goes into this like starting saying like yeah you're gonna be like you know hemorrhaging and and maybe this is just me if I was a hazmat EMT, I would just be like, well, you're going to start bleeding out your butthole pretty bad. <laughs> and then the nose. And you're going to be coughing up a lung. It's going to be very bad. That butthole, your lungs are going to come out of it. Yeah, uh, he oof, he does am. use very, very technical, very technical it's words. It's going to be a bad time. I, I think at this point, I actually wrote, my, I, I realized, I'm like, oh, shit, it's 24. We're going to have to watch Georgia die slowly today. Great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. Not just going to be able to see it happen off screen. <laughs> just go, nope, nope. We're going to watch it hour by hour. Just watch this man die. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. This this episode is really the first. Um, so I think George Mason took like if we're, I think George Mason is a roller coaster ride of a character. Last episode, he hit the bottom of his first hill after being like dropped off the top of the roller coaster, <laughs> and we're coming up on like this episode puts him up on like the top of the first hill. Like George is George is redeeming himself in a, in a bit. Yeah. But it, it's a it's a wild ride we're all taking together. Um, so this guy gives him some, like, really bad fucking news about <laughs> vis-a-vis the disintegration of his internal organs. <laughs> and as he's in it, a cop walks over and interrupts him with a call from CTU. Uh, and the paramedic just, <laughs> is just like, that was not the best time. I'm telling him I'm, about his I'm bloody, bloody the, butthole. Yeah. <laughs> This beehole's just gonna be spewing blood. Can you just give me a second here? It's gonna be organ soup in his pants pretty soon. And, oh, well, buddies. Um, but the cop just says, it can't wait, which is fun. And uh, George takes a call from Tony, who's, who informs him that they hit CTU. They're 19 dead, 20 wounded, 7 missing. And they can't get any of the nuke intel because they uploaded it to the NSA servers, per Eric Rayburn's instructions. But Paula wrote the encryption key, and she's currently underneath some rubble, 
So all of the data on the nuke that CTU had can't be accessed by anyone, including the NSA, because she never had a chance because Tony pulled her out of George's office before the bomb went off. So no one can access the information on the nuke. But why is the inf- did they so they encrypted the data also that was on the CTU servers already to send it to the NSA? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But why didn't they? Just, no, but, but data is not like a thing that like when you send it, you don't have it anymore. Well, Michael, when I send you an email on AOL, uh-huh. <laughs> that's an open line. Any, yeah. any old fool could tap into that unless right, I. Right, but they should it. still have the data. Yeah, they still they on still, the they CTU still, servers. Here, Unless, well, to be fair, the terrorists did specifically blow up the servers in the last episode. So they still transferred it to the NSA servers, right? Right. Well, Michael is claiming that they were on the CTU servers, oh, which are but th- whatever. Here's not the, extant where is the their room? Where is their solid room of zip disks? I'm still <laughs> trying to figure this out. <laughs> they must be backing this up to some tape drives or something. Hey, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm sure that Paula's a fantastic programmer. She seems great. Um, if we don't have someone at the NSA who could break her encryption, why do we have the NSA? Well, no, but they hey, could do it. Just not that fast. This was 2002. That's, and, I mean, yes, it's true. The FBI can't currently break into like an iPhone. Oh, they did that shit. Yeah. Though. Not the well. Someone did that. Shit. <laughs> they can't break into the Texas shooter's phone oh, uh, well, right now. Uh, the San Bernardino one. Someone figured it out and sold it. Just you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, like encryption's tough, and the bomb's gonna go off today. So yeah, you know. yeah. They don't have. They don't have a lot of time. I get That's it. What I mean, pull everybody off. Hey, who can crack codes here? Get to fucking. Well, to work. be fair, Tony brings that up as a solution <laughs> later in the episode. At a Pretty critical moment for Paula, and uh, we'll we'll get to that in a second. But um, so Tony is Tony's re- gonna feel real shitty later, though, after this conversation with <laughs> not George. as shitty as George, vis a vis bloody buckles. Um, so literal Tony, shit. Tony is very anxious to get back in the uh, find this new game. Uh, even despite saying that literally everyone at CTU is dead, Tony's like. We need to get onto this again. And uh, Georgia says, talk to the NSA. I'm not really in a position to help out right now. And Tony just gives him the third degree. He's like, look, a nuclear device is set to go off today. And we just lost half the people who can deal with it. So don't tell me you're still trying to cover your own ass. Mm. And Georgia Mm. says, look, Tony, just deal with it. And Tony... Mm -hmm. Hangs up and just throws the phone away into a pile of rubble, which is kind of what I would also do. <laughs> and in the background, we see more of CTU just kind of fall apart and fire fall from the sky, which is a nice touch. Um, yeah, I'm 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 worried about both Tony and and George at this point. Yeah, but I mean Tony doesn't know obviously that George is dead. <laughs> George is not. He just want, doesn't want to burden him with more with more bad news. But it's just yeah. Oh man. So just it's just it's like like you know yelling at yelling at your crying dog because she's crying. She's like, God damn it, <laughs> stop it! Yeah, I, I'm just not in the position right now to stop this crying. I'm gonna need you to shut the fuck up. Um, and do your yeah. job. See, thanks. I prefer to think of it as George is waiting until the best possible moment to drop this information on Tony, like to when he's going to feel possible. the absolute worst. It's gotta about be right it. before you die, because then you know it's right? just forever. Like you can't, you never had a chance to say you're sorry. Like you just like like he shows up in the hospital. No, yeah. 
You yeah, should never that you have feel real shitty. You doubted me. <laughs> I yelled at him, you guys. I yelled at him. Yeah, you yeah. did. This just feels like such a piece of dramatic irony to one, like, like in the first two episodes, George is just a piece of shit. And like after last season, you're not supposed to like him, but like he's sympathetic now. And also like we all hated Tony in the first three episodes. And now it's like, yeah, Tony's just doing his job and it's cool. He's being a dick to a guy with fucking like <laughs> uranium poisoning. Like that's not a good look for anybody. Um, but we cut to the Eddie Mobile where Jack is grabbing the back of his head where he had previously sliced himself up to uh, pretend to be killed or hit in the head by Cam. Mm-hmm. Eddie stops the van. They all get out, and Eddie instructs Jack to follow him away from the phone company van uh, to a waiting car while Chris, uh, played by uh, William from Westworld, uh, prepares dine. Well. Prepare some flares to just yeah. just burn the van, mm-hmm. which like like they literally have road flares that they're just gonna burn this shit down with. They probably should have saved some of that C fifteen, yeah, to just stick like, in the van. Like a quarter brick of that would have been mm-hmm. choice for this situation. Um, but Eddie calls Joseph Wall to confirm that the attack was successful and uh, to meet up with Joseph after this. So Jack and Eddie walk over to her car and. Eddie very conveniently gets an address from Joe, and he writes it down in a matchbook. And uh, we see one of the terror boys light up a flare. And uh, what happens next? Jack just doesn't care who else is around. He, no. he pulls out his gun on Eddie and tells him he's a federal agent. He wants that. He, does, he hides he, behind he, the door. He kneels behind the door, which is a fun <laughs> little bit of chicanery from Jack. I don't just want to understand why he didn't wait until like, they had driven away. <laughs> yeah. So Or like he verified that that was actually Joe Joseph Wald's address. I love that. So Jack tells him he's a federal agent and tells Eddie to give him the matchbook. And Eddie just says, Jack, you helped plant those bombs and you cut Goran's head off. <laughs> And it was like, I can kind of see how he would think this was a bit of a tall tale yeah. from yeah. Jack. Jack, Jack like, you're a terrorist. It's yeah, no, dude, you're not a you're a literal murderer. Right? You <laughs> yeah. gave You've me a murdered human head. so many people. Yeah, like at least twenty people. You brought me a human yeah. head. Yeah, like, like two hours ago that you cut off with your own hands and a hacksaw. <laughs> Jack, you're not a federal agent. He's not a good um, one. Yeah. <laughs> or he's the best one. It's true. Which is actually kind of funny. Later on in this episode, Jack talks about like the law and government being too powerful. And I was like, dude, you just ignored all sorts of due process and cut a man's head off too. Like, exactly. three other and people. And the law didn't do anything to stop him, Kush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, government's too big. One man can just destroy the Constitution. Um, so this Correct. scene did also. Yeah, <laughs> this scene did actually remind me of a uh, a pretty obscure rule in our eight pages of uh, uh, the twenty four drinking game. If a gun is pointed at someone for more than three seconds, you must <laughs> drink. drink the entire time. So please take a drink. Um, also, if that gun eventually goes off, take a drink. If that gun kills someone, take a drink. Fellas, we got a couple couple drankies coming up in a second here. Um, so, Jack tells Eddie to put his hands on the steering wheel and to pass him his gun, which Eddie does. And uh, he says, if Joe finds out about this, you're a dead man. Mm. And Jack points his gun at Eddie again to say, you're under arrest. 
and uh, he he gets the the address and the phone number from uh, he gets the matchbook, and um, for some reason, Jack just stands up from behind the door with a gun pointed at Eddie, and Chris, the terrorist, notices this, and he begins shooting at Jack. He says, and then "Scott, the other terrorist, that's son shooting. of a bitch." <laughs> yeah, they say "son of a bitch" a lot in this episode, <laughs> mostly Jack. Um, so. Who wants to break down this scene for me? So, so Chris begins firing at Jack, um, and then also he's joined by uh, by Redshirt Scott. By Scott. Redshirt, his red, he's a red, yep. he's a redshirt. Um, <laughs> so, 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 so Jack begins to return fire. Uh, he Dual manages wielding pistols. He, he, he oh, yeah, yeah, he's he's ducking behind some stuff, and he manages to get a shot off uh, at the old Redshirt. Clocks him in the chest. Redshirt goes down. Um, he continues to run. And I think that only red shirt's going down, right? But Chris goes down. Oh yeah, he chases him down too. Yeah. The next thing you Chris is not yet in his Westworld fighting fighting correct, spirit. Correct. And the next thing you know, Eddie, who we said last time was a hero unit, he's got a mount in a vehicle. He's, <laughs> he, he he charges towards Jack and his best Leroy Jenkins. But Jack is ready in a in a Chevy Cavalier. Jack is ready uh, and takes him out. Puts three, two, two the in the shield, yeah, two, two the mm. windshield, one in the head, one in the, one in the chest. Actually, no, one in the face, right? Um, mm. and Eddie goes down. He did not have R- as much HP as I thought he did. Oh yeah, Eddie, her, Eddie her rolls to dead. a stop just past Jack, who like <laughs> even as the car is like decelerate or like deaccelerating next to him, just like oh yeah. Jack continues to shoot at a clearly dead Eddie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just like a few sure. more times. You understand that Eddie's is Look, Eddie dead, yo? Yeah, he, he did. You gotta double tap, especially when you when you face a intermediate boss. Yeah. Well, know? he uh, octuple tapped uh, Eddie pretty pretty good. Can um, we talk about how fucking weird those old ass cars with the automatic seatbelts were? Oh, very bad. Yeah, the <laughs> right? ones that like came up around your neck and just kind yeah. of like, real bad strangled they, you. They were attached to the door. Yeah, it was bad. So yeah. like when you went to get out, you were like fucking stuck in a seatbelt. What a I, weird invention. Yeah, man, that was bad. I just I, I used to, my parents used to have one of those cars and it was always uncomfortable. <laughs> Especially as like a child. Like what do you mean? Yeah, because it's like me. in the ceiling. That's way too high. Man, that was bad. Well, Mary, we don't trust that. ourselves to actually do things, so it's like, well, if you just gotta put, you just put the goddamn thing in there, make them get the goddamn seatbelt, idiots. And then we realized it was way easier just to annoy the shit out of people with a beeping sound until you put Correct. your seatbelt on. Because hey, guys, I'm, I'm. Do you remember the '80s? Because we didn't wear seatbelts. Our parents, we, no. I rode in the back of a station wagon, just crawling around that bitch, going on multiple, uh, multiple hundred uh, miles trips. N- so, no joke. <laughs> One of my most impactful memories of my entire life was, um, so you know, I played I played baseball a lot when I was a kid. I was in a travel league, and uh, there's one game my dad couldn't drive me to. My dad and my uncle usually coached our teams, so my uncle drove me down to it. And we're driving down, driving down, and it's uh, about an hour hour away. And I'm in the back of the van, and my uncle. Who is very big on visualization, you know, especially for hitting. It's like you got to visualize the curveball, visualize the fastball. You're going to hit it no matter what, you know, whatever. He tells me because I'm in the back seat and I put my seatbelt on and I notice he's not wearing his. I'm like, hey, Uncle Bill, you're not putting your seatbelt on because I'm a nine little piece of shit. Tell him what to do. <laughs> and he says, yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> because if you put a seatbelt on, 
you're mentally preparing yourself to get into an accident. <laughs> you're visualizing the accident. Perfect. I don't put a seatbelt on. I don't get into accidents. And to my nine-year-old self, that made a lot of sense. Yep, it would. <laughs> it would. So, Jack pulls a dead body out of the car and drives away. <laughs> and we cut to commercial at 11.10. Man, we've made it through 10 minutes of this show in a half an hour. Guys, we're cruising. <laughs> cruising. It. We, we come back at 11.16. We see Jack driving away from the scene of the shootout. And he calls... Uh, Jack is not great on his phone, like prowess he calls ctu six minutes later to ask her to see what happened with the explosion and michelle Dessler answers and informs him that 21 people are now mm. dead and uh he he asks why ctu wasn't evacuated and she michelle says there wasn't enough time which is a little surprising to jack and he asks about george mason and tony uh, and she says they're both fine and he gives her a sit rep that he has an address for um for Mr. Joseph Wald, he's heading to 221 Canyon View Road in Simi Valley. And he says, let Mason know I talked to Kim. She's leaving the city. And Michelle says, yeah, no, I know. She called here, too, and talked to Tony, mm. which Jack is a little surprised to hear. Yeah. And uh, they hang up. And in the background, we see the rubble shift and just land a lot, like pretty badly on Paula. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michelle runs over to Tony and says that I talked to Jack and he just says, Call the NSA uh, about the intel that Jack gave her. And uh, she says, well, what about Mason? He says, Mason's out of the loop and just report directly to the NSA. So Michelle asks him about Kim and Tony says, oh, Oh, fuck, she did come here. And he asked Michelle to check the security logs for Kim's arrival. Clearly not knowing that Kim is Highlander. Yeah. But speak of the Kim and she does appear. And we see her speaking to a doctor at nearby St. Virgil's Hospital about Megan's condition. And oh, God, this scene pissed me off so oh, much. This scene was very stupidly bad. Like, um, my one of my one of the things I hate the most about dramas is when people just don't use words. They just stand there with their stupid mouths agog and don't actually say things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When she's like, "Oh, she has." So the doctor tells Kim that she has contusion in her brain. She has uh, some fluid on her brain, which caused the seizure. She's got a skull fracture. She has other injuries, previous injuries, and the skull fracture is not from the explosion because Kim's like, oh, she wasn't, we weren't hurt in the explosion. She says, oh, yeah, I know. And at no point does Kim say, like, oh, yeah, her father clearly abuses her. She just, like, looks really surprised and then is like, you're gonna blame me for this? It, she just so so Kim or so Megan also has a fractured wrist and several fingers that had never been treated, and uh-huh. Kim just like looks like a big dummy at her for a minute. How could says, that have happened? You don't think I hurt her? <laughs> and the doctor just says, "I'll let the police sort that out." So, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> guys, never once like, does she say, "I've been the nanny for two fucking weeks." Yes, ma'am. her dad's abusive. That's a, that's the first. Nope, I didn't. Who do you think did it? Me or her father? Let's just guess. Yeah, which, by the way, though, we it, it, the nice part of this season, we've really accelerated the Kim legal troubles plot line by about 14 <laughs> hours, which I really appreciate. <laughs> Let's get it out of the way early because it is my least favorite 24 trope. But yeah, it's um, Kim's bad at this. And I don't know why you wouldn't just say like, yeah, her very strong father who also abused me and threatened to kill me. 
I've been the nanny for two weeks. Two weeks. I literally I, could not have given her a broken wrist and broken fingers that have not healed yet because they would still be broken. But I and I also hey can't stress this enough have one best nanny of all time award <laughs> so pr- doing pretty good on that front pretty pretty um, good pretty good so we got a tiny clock please take a drink it is eleven seventeen we cut to the to the NROC and uh, David Palmer and the, his staff are watching a live report on the explosion in CTU where the field reporter mentions that it could be terrorism and <laughs> it. <laughs> He does say it could be terrorism at this government building. So clearly they don't know that it is CTU. And guys, hey, can I say this? CTU has gotten an upgrade. It's the same office internally, very clearly. They didn't change the internal set, but it's no longer on a college radio station. It is in a nice brick building in downtown <laughs> mm-hmm. LA, which is yeah, nice. They, they just, they, they took all the offices and they moved them. Yeah. But they didn't change anything inside. So... We get about just about the dumbest like conversation of all time in this scene. Um, Eric Rayburn just says the CTU bombing is just the start. It's only a matter of time before the questions become rumors and the rumors set off mass panic. Please take a drink. Um, I think it's time that we evacuate L.A. And he just says we can do this discreetly and safely. We've prepared cover stories. What? You're not evacuating 9 million people discreetly, my dude. <laughs> yeah. What cover story could you possibly have for evacuating the entire fucking city? You can't say like, oh, there's a gas leak in all of the city. In all of LA. And then also, we learn in a moment that like his very discreet evacuation plans with real cool slick cover stories <laughs> will take a week to complete. <laughs> like, can you imagine just being like, hey, L.A., no big deal. We need you to leave for a week. Just get out. Just, just everyone yeah. out. It's <laughs> fine. Need, we're going to need you to just, but not all at once. Yeah, just, like, very safely, orderly, please, cannot stress enough. Rich white people, please get get out first, obviously, da-da-da. Um, so, so, Rayburn says that, and he also says... I have General Preston's promise that he can contain any civilian unrest, which is a pretty interesting euphemism for protect people before a nuclear bomb goes off. Yeah, um, he means, he we're means gonna evacuate, <laughs> yeah, evacuate 9 million people over the course of a week. And don't worry, my general said that he will kill everyone. But the thing is, the thing is also, so you think about it, they have to evacuate people. Safely and calmly. It's to somewhere. To somewhere over a week, apparently. And a general has said that he can, can manage the civilians, which would require tr- they send troops into the city to control all that, knowing a nuclear bomb is going <laughs> to go off. And then once everyone is dead, more troops will go in to kind of f- figure it all out. Like, <laughs> what is this plan they think they have? Yeah, and all of it's bad. And also, let's not forget, these are people who, much like, let's all be fair, we are from Florida, and we have parents who refuse to move in the face of a Category 5 hurricane. The people of California notoriously mm-hmm. will look a gigantic fire in the face and say, nah, fuck you, I dare you to come over here. So they're not moving for nothing. <laughs> you got a whole bunch it's of true. nothing. Yeah. We need you guys to leave. Fuck you. We live huh. on a literal tectonic plate. I don't care. 
<laughs> I just, I really wish, I really wish they would have told us what these cover stories are. Yeah, I kind of like, want to know. Just like, oh, they're aliens. Cow, you should probably ma- massive cow migration came through downtown. You guys, oh, guys, you gotta get. Out. I know what it is. New York said you guys couldn't evacuate in a week. You're all. <laughs> <laughs> they said they could do it. They're gonna do it. <laughs> We're filming the largest real and we're not using any cgi for this we're filming a movie where we're evacuating la it's called escape from la but not that one the other one and we're literally everyone has to escape from la but we don't want to use any cgi or extras you're all extras everyone has to evacuate for this movie you're all getting paid all facetime you're gonna be on the screen Mm -hmm. you're all gonna be sag members all of you Mm. yeah that would that would do it i'd get out of there do it man or guys there's a really exclusive restaurant we put it in the middle of the pacific ocean (laughs) we got boats if you want to go there free avocado (laughs) in las vegas just get get out there Um, actually that's it that's that you gotta do something in vegas (laughs) (laughs) avocado toast in vegas all you can eat see uh um so um they have a, a pretty dumb little fight, and Rayburn just insists that it's his job to protect as many citizens as he can, and that they've ranked 10 high-probability target areas, which David says just isn't good enough, and they need to do more. And Eric, Eric Rayburn just says, bottom line, Mr. President, it protects you politically, which <laughs> does not seem like it should be the top line of the NSA director's job description to protect the president politically and also... How does it do that? If a nuke also, goes off, also if a nuclear bomb, yeah, if a nuclear bomb goes off, he's not getting no, elected. No, I think that's the one. Let's just that be might honest. Be the one yeah. case where it's like, homeboy, you can't even run. You need to <laughs> like, no. You got like this is this is pre midterms, my dude. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. lose, I'm gonna lose those badly because of you. Do your job, which it just feels like the bad guys in these shows, like the you know, the like. First level bad guys can never give a good advice. Just like, no, I'm gonna say everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, David insists if the bomb goes off, he's not getting reelected. And he, or- for some reason, orders that no evacuation or any sort of measures should be taken until they have solid intelligence about where the bomb is gonna go off. And then uh, he sends Lynn away to schedule a meeting for him with some generals. And uh, they all get up, and we cut to Jack Bauer who is in the car and calls and says, I need to speak to the president right away. It's urgent. And uh, again, not shockingly, he gets transferred to Lynn Kresge, who is about to send some documents over to David's season one chief of staff, Mike Novick. Ooh, can't wait for that guy to come back before he arrives at the NROC. And uh, his the first thing he says is, what the hell are you people doing over there? I gave you a 30-minute warning for CTU. And Lynn just tries to blame extenuating circumstances. Yeah, but then she then yeah. she then she tells him to do his job, and I get hearing Jack's voice, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, she says, "I suggest you do your job," and he's like, "That's what I've been doing." Yeah, like, lady, I've murdered four people in the last hour and a half. And I took one of their heads off with a hacksaw. <laughs> also, my job was to not let everyone at CTU die. And I told you 
about it and you didn't do your shit yeah, i mean also three and a half also i was retired two yeah, hours I mean, ago yeah. three hours ago i was a hobo drifter and now i've I've, <laughs> I've already reintegrated myself into a terrorist sect and managed to find their leader what the fuck have you been doing <laughs> <laughs> when i woke up this morning i was just trying to roll over and eat some goddamn in and out burger that i left on the side of the couch <laughs> you've been at the fucking end rock all day okay <laughs> do your goddamn job <laughs> I was in a sad apart one bedroom apartment by myself, just crying. <laughs> and now I'm a killer again. I feel pretty good about it. Do your goddamn job, Liv. <laughs> um, so he says, I'll do my job. You people better start doing yours. And he just hangs up and she looks a little bit broken as she hangs up. And we cut to a tiny clock. It's 1121. And uh, Kate Warner blonde little chit walks up to her father bob who's looking at his checkbook and looks pretty bummed as he talks to uh, a like wedding planner and just says this wedding is gonna break me he's laughing about and, it uh, he's cool dad yeah he's he's having a good yeah. time he's a cool dad he's, he's, he's crazy about <laughs> it um so they walk off and he asks what's the big emergency and kate says well i was going over the business's Q3 P&L sheets, and I found some inconsistencies. So she naturally thought it was Reza, her soon-to-be brother-in-law, stealing from him. So she hired a private investigator. And Bob As says, do. Well, is he stealing from me? And what does <laughs> well, Kate say? Well, no. But it turns out he's probably totes a terrorist. Connected to a terrorist financier, Syed Ali. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bob says, well, do you have any proof? And Kane ain't got shit. Mm-hmm. And Bob says, you hire a man to dig up dirt, he's going to dig up some dirt. That's what they do. And he ain't buying it. No. So he pulls her aside and just says, hey, Kate, I already checked Race's background more thoroughly than any guy named Ralph ever could. And then he delivers some yucky lines. <laughs> just, I'm a businessman and a damn good one. My daughter's. My most precious assets, mm. yuck, and I wouldn't let either of you get married without without performing my due diligence. Double yuck. He didn't mean it like that. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. He was. Com- he I don't. Did. I don't trust Bobby Boy. I don't. No, I like Bob. I, I, he was. He, he was says, putting everything in the context of business, right? And and saying that even over his business, his daughters are the most important things to him. So if he's that good at business, imagine how good he is as a father. Of course, he checked out Reza before, you know, he let, you know, him him slide up in. I mean, you you got oh, to. Yeah. You can't let your daughter get married without doing a quick background you damn check. You right, son. You kidding me? Your, your due diligence, as yeah. it were. Yeah. No, I get it. But, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> the my the my most precious assets thing was. Well, daughter, daughter or son, actually. Like, I mean, I, if so, I ever have kids, I'm not letting them, like, Go or uh, get married to someone without me checking yeah, that. If shit I out. have any money, come on. This is you can go ahead and listen to this. Any future spouses or future spouses of my sons, um, you getting checked out. If you think oh, somebody's yeah. following you, they are. Mm-hmm. So it's probably my, me. Yeah, no, yeah, no. We have a pact. We're we're all going to investigate some folks. Um, so my my uh, brother, his father in law, uh, was formerly a uh, Hillsborough County uh, homicide detective. Mm. And uh, the first time my brother showed up at uh, his now wife's house, um, my the best man in the world, uh, <laughs> his father-in-law asked him. First question was, 
related to fucking chickens and my brother's <laughs> prowess in that front. But then also, a couple minutes later, uh, they went in the house and he walked back into the house and just had my brother's full history of uh, – full driving history and uh, wanted to know about his lead foot. <laughs> Dude, if I yeah, if I had access to information like that and the person knew, I would come in with a a Manila folder just filled to the brim with papers and just throw it on the desk and be like, "Do you think I wouldn't find out about this shit?" Explain yourself. <laughs> Start to spill their guts. I swear to God, I thought she was eighteen. <laughs> yes, oh, there yes, it is. sir. One time, <laughs> I stole a candy bar from the gas station. <laughs> I only rubbed my balls in his toothbrush once. All right. Once. Why was mad about and it? How did you how did you even find those pictures? <laughs> um, so Bob tells Kate to drop this nonsense and start treating Reza like a member of the family. And because Reza was named, he comes walking into the pool house where they're just chilling. And uh, he tells Kate that his cousin has a bit of a crush on her. And it really must have been her freaking out and refusing to yeah. meet him that really hooked him. <laughs> Yelling and running away. Yeah. That's what yeah, really that's gets what me going. Really gets the motor running. <laughs> yeah. um, so she tries to excuse herself and says, well, I promised Marie I would pick up lunch. And Reza says, I'll drive you. I'm going to go. I need to get out of the house anyway. And Kate attempts to decline like four times. <laughs> and Bob just says, uh, go with him. <laughs> And after some very tense piano music, they walk off, and Bob just kind of gives a look to the heavens and just says, can't believe I got to deal with this shit. <laughs> I don't know. He kind of gave Ray's an interesting look. I'm just saying. My I friend, don't you're on, trust you're on some, Bob. You're on some shit, man. You, you just I'm want... Just, you're, you're, you're jaded. I mean, you just I mean, want everyone I, I to can, be a terrorist. I can see where you might not trust Bob, but I, I hate Kate's face so much that I can't mm. get past it. Kate, Kate has a very bad dumb face. Yeah. And she had on the whole, she's, she's had it on for like an hour and a half now. Cause like, you just want, Guys, I, I, holy I would, shit, we're at 52 minutes. I think that's just her face. Oh, oh man, this is gonna be a three hour episode. Let's <laughs> <laughs> right, move along, rapid fire some shit here. Here we go. Yeah, let's go. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna cut through some shit. So we go to commercial 1124, we come back at 1128. We see George riding in the ambulance to the hospital. He's coughing, uh, and, uh, the paramedic riding with him hands him a call on the radio from Tony Almeida, and Tony asks George for his password so they can access the data that they're working on on George's computer so they can maybe try to crack into the encryption. And George just says, well, it's Hendrix. And Tony says, with an X? And George just says, how else would you spell it? Which is super secure. <laughs> it's the worst password. He doesn't even tell him whether there's any capitals or anything. Or like the, the E is a, a three or something. Right. No, it's just straight up Hendrix. That's not even that's not even eight letters, guys. That doesn't pass for a password in literally your own, your bank account, let alone your fucking password or your goddamn also, CPU. Also, not a moment's hesitation to just provide his password to a like, inferior officer. Like, well, he, he just gives give a it shit. to him. Yeah. I guess yeah, 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 yeah. to worry about his anymore. give a fuck is at a very low level right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, so he well he does give a fuck for a moment. He asks how Paul is doing, and Tony just says she's not doing well and hangs up. And George is kind of coughing, and he asks the paramedic in the back of the ambulance, "Am I contagious?" And the paramedic just says, "No," but like kind of leans back a little bit just in case he is. Am I? Am I? If I fart, is there plutonium coming out? <laughs> am I? Am I farting death row? 
So we get a tiny clock. It's 1130. Please take a drink. And uh, we see Jack. He drives past an ice cream truck in a very nice suburban neighborhood. And he arrives at Joseph Wald's house and approaches. And before he gets out of the car, he puts a rag up to his head like he's been hit. And he's stopping some bleeding. And he runs up to the door in like a very shitty house in the rest of this nice neighborhood. And he knocks, he bangs on the door like he's in trouble. And he says, everyone's dead. I need to come in. Just open the door, Joe. And Joe opens the door with a shotgun pointed at him. And he tells, he tells him again that everyone's dead and you need to come in. So Joseph lets him in and Jack runs in. And as he turns around to lock the door and asks Jack what's happening, because the job went off without a hitch, Jack pulls his gun and says, I killed, I killed them him. for resisting arrest. <laughs> like he's wearing a wire, like just in case he has to be like, no, 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 I had probable cause. Everything's fine. I'm a cop. Case, case anyone asked Joe, it was because they were resisting arrest and not because I get off on fucking murdering people. Just because I am still rocking a four-hour murder boner. Six to midnight, the moment I shot Red Shirt, dude. It was great. Um, also, Joe is no Ira Gaines. Just opening doors. No no situational awareness. Um, no, you know. Joe is definitely Laszlo Gokulak from Real Genius. He lives in a closet. That's exactly Holy that. shit, that is a deep, a, deep cut. <laughs> mm-hmm. He has less hair somehow in this in this episode. I love that movie. I really do. It's a good one. Anyway. All right. Uh so yeah, so Jack just says, I kill them and I'll kill you too. Which Joseph's not resisting arrest, but uh he takes Joseph's he takes his shotgun and Jack says, Who told you to taxi to you? And Walt says what makes you think someone told me to do anything? I'm my own man, Jack. You don't know me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he tells Wald, a patriot, a real patriot boy, <laughs> that there's a nuclear bomb about to go off in L.A. And that CT was just a secondary target as a part of a larger attack. And whoever got you to do this set you up. You're a patsy. Mm. And Joe thinks Jack's lying. Uh, but Jack just says, you have one last chance to tell the truth of all the days. Why today? You were told where and when to, his, to hit CTU. And before Jack has a moment to give Joseph a countdown, what happens? Oh, the good dog. The big old patient puppy. That puppy waited oh. a long time. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> he wanted to make sure he was actually in danger. He's like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Oh, okay. He's definitely putting a shotgun to my owner's face, I should probably do something about this. So a big old cute little sweet pitbull mm-hmm. j- runs over and jumps at Jack and bites him in the, mm. in the arm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what kind of dog one doesn't respond to someone banging on the front door <laughs> yeah. very loud- loudly and then yelling at their owner? Like doesn't even like come over to like sniff their butt or something. See, I can kind of see this because back in the day... My puppy dog, Staley, would have been all over that from the minute Jack stepped inside. But he's old now. And so, like, sometimes when I come inside or people come over, he's just, he's asleep. And then he wakes up and it's, like, full bore from that moment. So, like, maybe the pit bull's just a little old. Took this him, took him did, a little while. This pupper did seem to have a pretty good motor on him, though. Yeah, he got after it pretty fast. Uh, I'm just saying. When Staley needs it, it's there. 
He did appear it's to have an eight foot vertical leap. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but um, so the dog tackles Jack and bites him very badly on the arm. And Joseph Wald runs at the back door. And um, mm. I'm going to need you to go ahead and pour one out for this little yep. pupper. Yeah, um, he gets um, um, Because mm. Jack gets his fourth confirmed kill for this oh, episode. Um, With a shotgun. Did kill a puppy? Which, I didn't know any better. I gotta, guys, I got to say. The the worst part about dogs getting shot in movies or TV is even when they catch a a twelve gauge slug to the dome. Same sound. They they make the <laughs> noise. Yeah. It's like that dog wouldn't have time or breath to do that. <laughs> that dog just died. Sorry, I don't need I don't need the auditory explanation of that dog's horrible horrible death. I feel like we should have had like a like a, a warning before discussing yeah, that man. because the one thing that will turn a turn Rachel off of a movie faster than anything is the dog dying. Well, I've always told her and everybody else like when we start a movie, I look at Tammy and be like, "Hey, um, just so you understand, there's an animal there. That animal's gonna die in this movie. <laughs> like, like I I've never seen War Horse. War Horse. I know the horse dies because the horse has to die." Uh, I'm just saying like, we we watched we watched I am Legend. Oh, I remember that. That was one of the worst. But dog I knew that you knew ever. that dog was gonna die. I knew that dog was gonna die. Too. Rachel doesn't watch movies. She did was, not know that was coming. I was kinda holding out hope because the dog the puppy was so good, it was hanging out in the bathtub with Will Smith and they were so good and no one no, had any trouble. Unless it literally is a movie starring the dogs, Homeward Bound, Milo and Otis, <laughs> Benji, right? They're not making it. Cujo, <laughs> Pet a Cemetery, A Dog's Purpose. Oh no! Wait, That's shit! That's the whole point of the goddamn movie. All dogs go to heaven. He came back, didn't he? So we're good. <laughs> to, to dog hell. Spoiler um, alert. <laughs> so, man, yeah. Spoiler For alert. Thirty years. Anyway. <laughs> so Jack executes this dog brutally. And he runs after Wald, and he follows him out in the backyard into a sh- to a shed in the garden. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically finds that Wald has retreated into a panic room mm-hmm. hidden inside yep. of this shed. Him and uh, Jody steel, Foster. Steel walls. <laughs> steel walls. And uh, Jack demands that Wald opens the door, which I don't know why he would. Yeah. And uh, Wald does not respond, and Jack finds a pickaxe, and he starts tearing away the drywall. Uh, around the the metal panic room, which won't do anything. We get a tiny clock. Please take a drink. It's 11.34. God, we're not even halfway done. <laughs> and uh, Carla Matheson, uh, Gary's wife, receives a call from Kim, who asks, uh, Carl asks Kim where they are. And uh, Kim gives a series of the least helpful responses clearly intended to drive Carla insane with mother's worry. Uh, just says, we're at the hospital and offers no future other details. And uh, she finally tells Carla that about Carla's Kim's being injuries. a fucking just yeah, idiot. Guys, fu- I don't hear. I don't want to see a fucking lifetime movie in the middle of my action show. And that's what, what I got here. I don't. She 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 defends her, her shitty husband. Says Kim doesn't understand the situation. Blob the blob the blob. Fuck, I don't care. Yeah, can we yeah. just can we just go past this? <laughs> yeah, blah blah blah. So uh, fuck that, Carla, that, fuck Gary. 
So Kim finally tells Carla where they are, and Carla runs out. She's all oh, on my way. She runs out to open the. She opens the door and just sees Gary standing oh, there. Oh, Gary's stupid Gary. face. Fuck so we Gary. go to commercial. We come back to eleven forty, and uh, we see Jack can now strip down to a pretty nice tight undershirt, <laughs> long sleeve undershirt. We see him continuing to try to break through uh, Joe's safe house, but the metal wall is there, and realizes that he <laughs> cannot break is through there. four inches of solid steel. Um, Jack just sits down and shouts to Joe that a tactical team is on its way and tells Joe that the people behind this attack just want to destroy the entire country, starting with L.A. And he asks Joe if that's what you want. I thought you wanted to give power back to the people. You're not fighting the federal government. Who do you think is going to be at the at ground zero? How many people do you want to die for you? And he goes through a whole... Big old spiel about the government being too big, mm-hmm. and now Joe has the power to make a difference. It's so weird that he's he's appealing to the better nature of a, a man who is who is a, a terrorist. He he literally just planned for innocent people to be blown up at a government agency. Like yeah, the dude's literally sitting in a in a family neighborhood with cases of RPGs behind him. Like it's he's mm-hmm. he's, he's just he just blow shit up. That's what he do. Um, yeah, so I was watching. Uh, I was watching the new the new season of Mr. Robot. Mm-mm. Nope, don't do it. And watch it. Don't. And I'll say it. Just there's one. There's one thing that Christian Slater says. He says, "Never appeal to man's better nature because he might not have one." Hmm. And that's kind of how I feel about Jack trying to appeal to Joseph Wald in this one. Like, yeah, it's true. Okay. But the thing is, I mean, like, I, I kind of get it here. Like, so Joe's, even though they didn't really have time to build this whole part of Joe's story up, like, Jack is leaning on, like, Joe says he's a patriot. He doesn't, like, you know, he's angry about big government, but he still loves America. And, that, like, Americans are going to die. No one who has anything to do with any, like, any big government bullshit. So, like, he's trying to appeal to that. But, um... Guys, I hope you're ready to drink because <laughs> yeah. Jack says, you've got all the power now, Joe. And Joe does not respond. So he says, damn it, Joe, you're running out of time. We're all running out of time. <laughs> Everyone's running out of time forever. Oh, God, it was good. That's three drinks, by the way. Curtis, what are you watching what back there? Watching? I see a very young Tom Hanks. He's about to get into a nice car. No, Is it Road to Perdition? Mm-hmm. No, no. He just—he was just on a burger phone. I asked you a question. A burger phone? Next question. Jack right here is doing a little negotiation. He's trying to trying to get some information from Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you, mm-hmm. you if you got say a nice young lady um, who won't give you the information, what do you want her to tell you? The information. Do, do you want do you want lies <laughs> or do you want? I want the, the truth. I want the truth, Curtis. Uh-huh. I want the uh-huh. truth. Uh-huh. So so you would say that that's. Not they're not incorrect, but it's just the right stuff. Mm. Yep. <laughs> I don't know the, a lot of early Tom Cruise, uh, Tom Hanks movies. What's happening? It's okay. What I would say is I look at the young lady wait, in the who, eye and wait, I say, "Holy shit! You know what I want? Who is, who is that priest? Do you know what I want, ma'am? Just the facts, ma'am." Okay. <laughs> oh, is it Dragnet? Good God. Okay. <laughs> wait, Tom Hanks was in Dragnet. Dragnet, nineteen eighty-seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? 
Yeah, that all happened. With wow. and that is, speaking of deep cuts, holy shit. Yeah, Curtis, shit. well done. Guys, have I told you about the new podcast I'm going to do? It might just be a blog post series. I might actually fill the blog with this. Fucking dab me. Go ahead. Sorry. What you're going to do, what's a, a blog? Be- 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 I don't know what this is. A blog post. Um, no, I'm going to watch every Tom Hanks movie and rank them. Not by how good the movie is, but by how good of a choice the role was for Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks. I can't say. <laughs> damn it. I'm going to rank them by how good the role was for Tom Hanks to take. No, I'm going to watch every Tom Hanks movie and then I'm going to do a blog them post for Tom about Cruise. Tom Cruise. How good, how good a choice would be for Tom Cruise. You know, I bet early on. It's going to be called crossover. Hanks and Cruise. <laughs> Cruise and Hanks? First off, Kush. To, to, for a for you to for you to even just insinuate, okay, mm-hmm. that Antonio Hanksales has ever, in any way, shape, or form, chosen a bad role, is a fucking travesty. By the that, way, Curtis, you that know Tom I, have, Tay I have already Hanks-less. posited he's made one bad role choice. Yep. And I will, you know what? Hey, Bridge of Spies, fuck that shit too. <laughs> oh. You're going to go, you're going to go. So you're just, essentially what you're saying is that, is that you see Tom Hanks going in a, a downward spiral, a la De Niro? Is that what you're trying to say right now? No, I'm saying De Niro had bad grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that as a good thing or a bad thing? I don't actually know. <laughs> we cut to Tiny Clock, 1143. We see Reza and Kate cruising down the road in that good, good red th- Thunderbird. And uh, Reza says, hey, Kate, you don't like me very much, do you? To which Kate responds very coolly. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Where would I get you that idea? What? Yeah. And he says... Despite having worked at the company for three years, and I've dated Marie for two, you and I have never really got to know each other. You don't mm. really know who I am then. And she just says, well, I know my sister loves you, and that's good enough. And he's like, I want to show you something. And he takes a detour to show Kate something. Mm-hmm. And um, she freaks out. <laughs> And she's like, where are we going? Where are you going? This is not how we get to to lunch place. I forget the name of lunch place. And he just says, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. In the spirit of getting to know each other. Mm. And he very, very clearly pulls into a new <laughs> residential development. Yes. Yeah. That's, where you, that's where you hide bodies underneath the, the cement pores. And she demands that he turn around. And he's like, no, 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 just a little further. And she screams for him to stop the car, which he does. <laughs> and she leaps out and says, why won't you tell me where we're going? And she holds and her purse in front right. of her. The, the, she, like clutching yeah. her pearls. Yeah. And what does Raisa show her? Oh, he bought, his, he bought her sister a, a brand new house. Mm-hmm. Brand new house. Probably with company money. Money. That and he says, I wanted place. you to be the first one to see it. Mm. Mm. And mm. she sees it. It just gives the shittiest smile I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and we get a tiny clock, 11.45, and we cut back to CTU, where emergency teams are finally removing the last debris from Paula Schaefer so the doctors can treat her. And a doctor tells Tony, well, she was bleeding internally, and then we pulled that <laughs> beam off of her. 
And that beam was actually holding in all of her blood. <laughs> and now she's bleeding externally and internally and pretty much all the ternalies you can think of. She needed that blood. Yeah. And now it's seeping out of her very you quickly. Mm-hmm. It's important. Yeah. So she needs that blood. Mm-hmm. And Tony asks if they can stop it. The bleeding, that is. <laughs> And they say no. <laughs> she needs to go to the emergency room right now. Mm-hmm. So they lift her onto a gurney and start wheeling her out to an ambulance. And when they get outside into the parking garage, we hear the dulcet tones of George Mason. G Mace hey, on the scene. G Mace is back looking pretty good in a new suit. <laughs> Just a real good suit. And radiated and it suit. is a new suit. No, I think it's a new, a brand new suit that he just had in his car, maybe. No, he stopped it, at Macy's on the way. You yeah. Know, picked picked G- up a new cool suit. He doesn't give a fuck anymore. What does he right. care about so, money? Uh, that's a good point. He stopped at G Macy's and got a new suit. <laughs> and uh, he's like, uh, he sees them wheeling the gurney. I was like, uh, what's going on? What's going, where's Paula going? Yeah, where the fuck are you taking her? I thought you, I thought you said we needed her yeah. to tell us so, some shit. Tony's like, uh, what are you doing here, George? I didn't think you were coming back. And he's just like, oh, well, I changed my mind. Also, I don't have to answer to you, so drop the fucking <laughs> attitude. And so George is He's up off hap- my dick, Tony. Yeah, get off these nuts, okay? My irradiated balls. Please get off of them. <laughs> so George George is not happy about a couple things. One, that Polly is unconscious and dying. Two, going to the hospital for surgery, and three, going to be under under anesthesia for hours. And he mm. says, she's not doing any of those things. Nope. We're going to keep her here and wake her up because she's the only one who can lock unlock the intel on the bomb. <laughs> I need her here, and I need her to lucid, so wake that bitch up uh, right now. <laughs> um, No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah say this this goes against the uh the old hippocratic oath that all of these emts and doctors have taken they're not doctors to, to first do no harm i'm taking that oath i'm I pretty they, sure these guys are doctors i think the guy treating her is a, a doctor well, yeah. here's my thing he's though. a ctu doctor like, we could get her to the hospital and attempt to wake her up Nah, Tony and then call you with that. the information. We don't have time for that. Tony, L.A. traffic, it could take hours. <laughs> Tony does suggest that, and and Georgia says, eh, no, wake her up. And Tony says, you're out of your mind. To which Georgia says, tell yourself that if it makes you feel better. Oh, wake her up now. Which, uh, do it. Yeah, so we go, we cut to commercial at 11.47. We come back at 11.52, we see Joe and Jack sitting on opposite sides of the panic room wall, both both lost in thought, contemplating their <laughs> current existences. And then we see David Palmer in his office in the NROC, and he summons Lynn Kresge into his office, and she hands him Jenny's statement about the bombing and turns to leave. But before she can walk out the door, mm-hmm. David says, were you ever going to tell me about the 30-minute window after Jack called? I'm the President of the United States. Did you really think I wouldn't find out? What possible reason could you have for not telling me? Uh, the gay fucking wannabe Batman the CIA. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so Lynn tries to defend herself, and David walks up to just like, Loom the fuck over Dude, her. Dude, I totally thought that Rayburn threw her underneath the bus. Yeah. And she just says, there's no excuse. 
No excuse. I should have told you. Um, but still as covering over for her, Rayburn. Still, well, no, she's just being a professional, a fucking professional, finally. But in one of those classic 24 flashes of insight, David <laughs> looks up over her shoulder and sees Eric Rayburn through the blinds on his <laughs> office windows <laughs> and asks, did you tell anyone about Jack's call? And she says nothing. And he mm-hmm. says, you told Rayburn, didn't you? He knows. That's why he you knows were arguing. everything, man. That's why you were arguing. And she says, I think it'd be best if I resign. And David's voice shoots directly through middle C. <laughs> oh, please take a drink and says, I'll decide what's best. Yeah. He, as he, much as I appreciate the gesture, I don't have time to appre- appease your guilty conscience. Uh, you ain't tender and shit up in here today. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about this shit later. We got shit to do today. And I still trust you, Lynn. I trust you enough to tell me everything that happened. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So we get a tiny clock. It's eleven fifty-four, and we cut back to CTU. And Michelle questions why Paula is still mm-hmm. there, since she has quote almost no chance of surviving without getting to a hospital. Correct. Yeah, correct. She she's mm-hmm. she's dead essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, she says, "I thought Mason wasn't even coming back." And this is to Tony Almeida, and he says, "Well, he's back, and <laughs> he's going to revive her to get all the info about the bomb." And he's, he just says, I'm not even sure he's making the wrong call. And he just yeah. hangs his head. And Michelle puts a very comforting hand on his back. Mm-hmm. Tony realizes that he's not cut out for the big boy pants yet. Yeah. Because he can't make those hard decisions. Jack Bauer can make the hard decisions. G Mace clearly can, even though he doesn't know that he doesn't give a fuck because he's going to die. Right. But right. Tony cannot make those decisions yet. Tony's not there. He's not in he's big not boy pants there. boat. He's not. He's not ready for that big chair. Hey guys, let me ask uh, you a question though. Yeah. Right. So we we're seeing two people like that, right? Lynn Kresge and Tony, who are not able to make the dickhead decisions that Eric and G Mace can make. Yet mm-hmm. one of them we see is a villain, and one of them. Well, the thing is, Lynn Lynn has all the information and is. I think she, I think she's just on the side of right. I think she's kind of speaking for David Palmer's conscience at this point. Tony is acting. Tony is the epitome of dramatic irony. He has none of the information and just like is fighting against. Like he just he sees what he sees, but he doesn't know what Mason's going through. Lynn Kresge knows what's up. Yeah, but no, I but get what you're saying because uh, yeah, because G Mace is like, well, we we need to find this nuclear weapon, so I'm going to do everything I can to find the nuclear weapon. And Rayburn is also saying, like, we we got to we got to get shit done. Well, yeah. So you see at what level their collateral damage view is at, right? G Mace is mm-hmm. the leader of that division. He's like, I'm gonna lose one person. I've already lost twenty seven. I don't care. Rayburn is saying Rayburn is saying thing. we might lose nine million people, twenty you know, fifty fucking CTU agents. What do I care? Mm-hmm. I think that so the I think the thing between Mason and Rayburn is that Rayburn views the detonation of the nuclear bomb as inevitable. Mason, even though he knows he's dead, still thinks he can stop it. Also, G Mace is cool as fuck, and Rayburn is a snaky little motherfucker. Yeah, he, can I, guys? He guys, was the bad Xander guy. Berkeley is Sorry. no, I don't, no, you're he, good. Just Xander Berkeley is the coolest cat in the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. the guy, the guy who played the, the dude was the bad guy in Beverly Hills Cop Three. He's Ellis <laughs> DeWald. That's true. Um, and I've always hated him because uh, he went out. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, one of Eddie Murphy's uh, best worst roles. Ever, um, and and that son of a bitch, 
was opposing Axel Foley. So die in a fire. Man. All right. You know how like there are just certain dudes in 80s movies who were just bad guys? Mm-hmm. Like Miguel Ferrar. Um, he's always bad. Yeah. He was a bad dude. Um, we talked about Real Genius earlier. The professor from that movie oh. was also the, the EPA dick yep. mouth in, yep. um, in Ghostbusters. Oh, mm. just, just, just a classic dick. Mm-hmm. Some guys were just born to play villains. Was he the one who had the small penis? Uh, no penis, actually. No mm. penis. Sorry, yes. Yeah. Correct. Which I, I guess qualifies as a small... This man has no dick. <laughs> I can't confirm this man has no dick. Yeah, exactly. As great as that movie is, though, shooting that massive laser into his house would not have just popped that popcorn. It would have really destroyed Would have made some, everything. Really would have ruined his <laughs> value. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so Tony and Michelle Sarah share a nice moment, and they go mm-hmm. back to work. And then we cut to the end rock, where two agents walk up to Eric Rayburn and tell him that they'd like him to come see the president with them. And uh, he walks into David's office past Lynn Kresge, and he is, like, promptly informed that he is fired <laughs> mm. for withholding information about the CTU attack. David says, and uh, Rayburn says, what, did Lynn tell you this? And he says, you lied to me. Lynn didn't have to tell me anything. And Rayburn tries to protest, but, uh, and then just says, you need me, President Palmer. Palmer says, I need people I can trust. And Rayburn says, like, the classic stupid government, like, villain line. She's like, I made a decision that you couldn't make. Mm. What does Palmer say? I'm the president of the fucking United States. I'm the only one who's qualified to make these fucking decisions. Dick. Okay, Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> the other the other great thing is that Palmer, Rayburn keeps trying to plead his case. Palmer just waves behind him. He waves in a Secret Service agent and says, get him out of here. And then he says, Mr. Armis is waiting to talk to you. you. Holy shit. He got Rayburned so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's already torturing a journalist. (laughs) Now he's going to torture the head of the goddamn NSA. Oh, man. I like David a lot more this season. (laughs) David David ain't fooling around. Mm Mm-hmm. So we see a tiny clock. It's 11.57. Please take a drink. A very sweaty Jack walks up in his real nice long sleeve tight tee. He walks through the panic room and tells Joseph the tack team will be there in two minutes. And he can either tell him who who the informant is or he can go to prison or die. (laughs) Which, you know, not great options. And he says, Joe, I'm out of time. Please take a drink. Mm. And then he grabs the shotgun, shoots four times at the door, <laughs> empties the clip, uh, or empties the gun of shells, and uh, drops it and just checks his watch and then puts his head in his hands. And just as I'm getting the sense that Jack never actually called a tactical team to come back him because up. Because it's been a while. The doors unlock. And Jack whirls around. He walks into the room. We see Joseph Wald sitting there with a gun in his hand. And he says, Jack, the woman who gave me the plans to see to you, I only met her twice. The second time, Eddie took some pictures from down the block. And he throws the manila envelope on the table between them as Jack tells him to put the gun down. And he just says, Jack, it's over. I can't go back to jail. He puts a gun to his mouth and pulls the trigger before Jack can react. Mm-hmm. 
Jack shouts no, and he rushes forward to check the envelope. In the split screen, we see Jack open the envelope while Eric Rayburn is escorted out of the Anrock. The EMTs administer Paula some epinephrine. We see Kate and Ressa driving home. And we cut back to the panic room, where Jack is tossing images aside as he goes through the, the sheaf of images until he sees one that freezes him in his tracks. Who is it? What does he see? Who is it? Fucking Nina Myers. God, Nina. Former lover, murderer of his life, and kind of looking a little bit hotter in these photos than in season (laughs) one. (laughs) It's Nina goddamn Myers. Oh, shit. Four episodes in. Jack drops the photos and sets his face into an unbelievable scowl, (laughs) and he stalks out of the room as we cut to 11.59 and 59 seconds. How did she get away? How did she... She got away. She set this all up in the past eight months? Who knows? Who knows when she got out? My God. It's Nina fucking Myers. Hmm. Fuck. Mm. How you feeling, Curtis? Fucking here's I actually kinda hope they part of me wanted them to hold it to the next episode just to fuck with me so I could cry a little bit inside. <laughs> um So one I was thinking, I was like, did they set this up though before she was detained? I mean, cause she warned Jack she was working for real people. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, was it has this been done in the last year or was it done before she even went down the last time? Like they already have this kind of plan set up. Uh, you know, fucking, I don't know. Um, I feel that's true. It does take a long time to get a nuke. You'd think so. It's true. Um, I feel I had the sense that she had met with Joe pretty recently. It's, that was my yeah. sense. Possible. Uh, I feel I I know I can't trust nobody. Is that Lori Petty? I didn't know Lori Petty was in this movie. Jesus Christ! <laughs> that's not Lori Petty. That's Isabella Rossellini. Sorry, man. I'm looking through f- my shitty webcam <laughs> to your like 1080p TV. I can't. It looks like Lori Petty, like a blockier Lori Petty for sure. <laughs> I don't know who Lori Petty is. You've seen Point Break. You know Lori Petty. Ah, uh, okay. Sorry, Curtis. I did not mean to interrupt. Anyway, you. no. Um. So, uh, yeah. I uh, I mean, Paula did. George did. Um, Joe did. So many did. Uh, Joe Jack has no leads. Uh, Rayburn getting getting that hand to justice. That was a yeah. bummel. I will say so. So on on the murder front, I mean, obviously, one. I I have two questions, mm-hmm. Curtis. One: Are you pleased with Jack's murder prowess thus far yeah. this season? Yeah, happy about it. Um, After he's knocked the rust. I will off say that he didn't double tap Chris. pretty quick. I don't like that when you've got um, you know a half kind of boss person. You gotta, you gotta finish that off, right? Mm. To be fair, he wasn't a half boss back then. He is now. I guess, yeah, maybe, looking maybe, back, maybe you're right. Maybe we didn't know as well, so it wouldn't have mattered. Um, so, for, but for me, it's like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta double tap that. Anyway, no, solid. I mean, you hit, you hit, you hit, you know, a real good mounted character through a windshield. Um, that's pretty dope. Joe killed himself, but yeah. you might as well killed him. Points off for killing the dog. Um, yeah, that one hurts. That, that, that's Find bad. A way uh, to deal with that situation, Jack. Yeah, you know what else? You know what else is kind of um kind of shitty? On the on the death list for uh on the wiki, the dog? Yeah, the dog is not the on fuck? here. 
Yeah. Hey, hey, guys! Good news: the dog didn't die. Oh, that's that must be what it means. Yeah, the puppy just had like he probably had a pretty. Pretty serious surgery. Yeah, he hit a twelve gig mm. from about two feet away. That dog did. It was maybe it was just bird shot mm. though. You don't know. He, he maybe it was just bird he put shot. a hole through a door with it. Somebody could <laughs> say no. Maybe it was just maybe it was just full of puppy anesthetic. <laughs> it was full of dog treats, and when he shot it, the puppy was like, "Oh, num 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 num." I don't want to eat your arm anymore. I want to eat these dog treats. All these good treats in my mouth now. Oh, what a what a good human. I like this guy. He's the best. <laughs> so well, that's the fiction I choose to believe now. <laughs> What I want to believe. We talked about Point Break. No, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're talking about Point Break. <laughs> at least in Point Break, when Johnny Utah had a pit bull thrown at him, <laughs> he pun- he punted it away. He punted a seven seventy pound dog with his bad knee. Everyone's seen that, right? Everyone knows that happened in Point Break. <laughs> Spoiler <Because> alert. <laughs> he punts a dog, a very large dog. Guys, he punted a dog. <laughs> okay, second question. Um, when do we think Jack is going to come face to face with Nina Myers mm. this season? Mm. How many hours from now? Three. Actually, Three. no, sorry. Okay, we're in hour so four. We're in hour four right now. Yeah, yeah we're right. only in hour we're four, not, man. We got yeah, a we're lot not, of season. Dude, we're not seeing it popping off. off. So it, yeah. it feels the season feels weird because you know last last season started at midnight so noon was halfway through the season right. but now we're 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 barely getting we're scratching yeah. the surface and so he's gonna see Nina at nighttime um and she'll be holding a gun pointing it at him obviously to stop his his murder vision from just killing her from a distance um so yeah that feels accurate yeah so it's gonna be it's gonna be a few episodes before we they come face okay. to face we might see Nina in the next three episodes. But they won't come face to face until. Um, okay. And I'm hoping, and hoping upon hope that because you know this is such a deeper issue that maybe we'll have some connection to Kuala Lumpur. Maybe. Ooh, <laughs> you'll finally learn the great mystery of season one, Curtis. You'll never God will. Damn. It'll never happen. <laughs> well, uh, any any predictions right now? Where do you think we guys are? Where do I think know it's going? coming, and Michael I'm mad Curtis. about it because I know it's going to happen this season now. What? What's happening? So I told you the one thing that I knew about Kim. At some point in the series 24, <laughs> is that she is she is at some point chased by a cougar. Um, I just feel like it's gonna, uh, it's gonna happen this she's season. She's not chased, not she's chased. Menaced. I think I said Either menaced. Way, yeah, she's she's menaced because she's gonna run out of this hospital for some reason and end up in the goddamn mountains. Why? Because she's Kim, and I just I just see it coming. <laughs> but you don't know when, and that's the fun part. Also, also, um, don't oh, be man, Curtis. Don't, oh, I, I just thought about what's happening later in the season. I also, got so excited. I learned don't don't for apply you. for the IT job at CTU. It's not good. <laughs> it's not a good look. Don't do it. Hey, Milo, it's, Milo retired a very very happy that, man. Milo was a this freelancer. Is, this is the Master of the Dark Arts thing at Hogwarts. Just don't take that job. It's the worst. Hogwarts. <laughs> Hogwarts. Don't do that to me. Don't you dare. Hey, did you see Curtis? You might like I, this. I, the AR see, game. Uh, Niantic, the company yeah. that uh, released Pokemon Go, is releasing a Harry Potter AR game. Yeah, here's the thing: I played Pokemon Go for a year, um, and I don't want to do that again. So, did you? But did you make all the good spells happen? I don't care. In Hogwarts, I, I own a I own a wand that can make spells happen in at Hog at uh in Hogwarts. 
Uh, all I need now is a. Is, the fuck you just all say? I need now is a, is a cane sword. What? You, you have he's a, got a he's got a wand. He's got a wand. You dude. just claimed you have a magic wand, Kurt. He has a magic wand. I've seen it. It's awesome. The 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 make spells part happen is a very important piece of that sentence. At Hogwarts, I need more clarification. At about. Hogwarts, at Universal Studios, it works very well. There's very special areas at Hogwarts. Curtis is opening his wand. It has a ooh a spooky skull on it. Ooh, ooh. how scary! You ain't seen my wand, my good dude. I had. You say like not. you say like uh, Leviosa and, and shit happens I, at Hogwarts. I made, rain, I made actual water pour down on the dude. Michael, uh, let that let, let that spell rip one more time. What was that? Uh, Leviosa. It's Leviosa. Not Leviosa. That's what I you said. also missed. You also missed the first word. Dick bag Leviosa. <laughs> Nailed it. Got it in one. <laughs> Got it in one. I made, dick I, bag float. I made it actually rain on a dude coming out of the bathroom, and he's looking around to see if a child had done it to him. And then he sees a black guy, and I'm like, yep, what you gonna do? Because <laughs> he wanted to be angry, but I was... Hold on now. Wait a second. What sort of magical powers does Wanda forge you at Universal Studios? <laughs> I shit, man. At the, at the, the Harry Potter... You made a, you made a toilet piss on no, some dude, dude, is what I just there's, heard. There's a goddamn, like, there's a, like a, a fountain above the bathroom when you come out, and you can make it, you can make water come out of it. Who designed that horse shit? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's awesome. It's great. I'm mad enough when I go on like the the uh, river ride and some asshole can shoot a cannon at me when I'm on a ride that gets me wet. If I was in the bathroom and I walked out and some nine-year-old or 34-year-old could make the sprinklers piss on me, I'd be very upset. I've got a, I've got a map of all the shit I can do to people. It's great. <laughs> it's incredible. It's the best. It was fantastic. Then I had some butter well, beer and uh, told mm-hmm. the guy to go fuck himself. <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Nothing. He, he can't pee on you anymore because he's plumb dry <laughs> at this point. Well, fellas, I think that's going to do it for us this week on The Longest Days of Our Lives. It's been lovely talking with you. Um, everyone, if you like this show, you can find out more information at goodbuddymedia.com. Um, Maybe I'll write a blog post. Fuck you, Michael. Um, or you can find out more about our sister show, Trends in Low Places, which in which Michael and I talk about dumb internet stories. And I gotta say, this week, Michael makes me laugh in the most pure fucking possible way I can imagine in the closing seconds of this episode. Even if you don't listen to the rest of it, I want you to catch the last four seconds of that show it's catch the wave it's such a pure innocent laughter um if you like this show you'll definitely like that one we're just two dumb idiots talking about shit um and if you want to uh send us a message you can hit us up at goodbuddymedia at gmail.com you know if you have a theory about 24 or you want us to read a message on on the show uh just send it our way we read every mail email we get and uh we'd love to hear from you and uh you know you want to say something? We'll say it for you. Shoot us an email. And uh, Curtis, how else can people help us out? Yeah, you guys, if you want to help us out um, by going to your podcast app of choice, whether what you use, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Addict, however you consume podcasts, uh, please subscribe to this show, Orchards in the Low Places. And when you do that, uh, go ahead and rate, review, uh, or comment on us uh, so that we can get moved up the charts and continue to uh you know move towards being a podcast juggernaut and bring all this stuff to you guys for free 
uh, and, and, and let everybody know how, uh, how stupid, uh, or awesome you think we are. I don't care which one it is. Just comment. Say we're dumb. That's great. Super news. We know. Yeah, it's fine. That's okay. I'll be a little dumb boy. I don't care. Uh, but, 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 but Michael, how can the folks find us on the old social medias? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at El Duelcast. Um, and you can also find us, uh, on Instagram. Um, well, at least you can find, uh, Tilp, T-I-L-P cast on Instagram, but, uh, you know, it's a good place to follow us and find out shit. Um, and when you do see us post something, um, please share it or retweet it, um, favorite it, whatever you want to do. Um, you know, it's the best way for you to let other people know that you like us. You really like us. Well, fellas, thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, I can't wait to do it again next week in Hour 5, which follows Hour 4 because of the natural progression of linear time. The witching hour. Fellas, we're running out of time. <laughs> Snoochie boochies. <laughs> <laughs>